What's going on, Cowboys Nation? Welcome to another episode of the Late Night Hype. We got a very special guest in the building, Big Duke. Doe Line Masterminds joins us to get inside the minds of some of the best offensive linemen in the game. Are you ready, Nation? Let's go. What's going on, Big Duke? Hey, before I before you answer that, where did you get Duke from? Big Duke. <laughs> uh, <laughs> don't ask him that. <laughs> wait, we got we being PG here. <laughs> Y'all tripping, man. No, I mean, I mean, I, honestly, it's been a uh, it's been a nickname I've had ever since probably my freshman year in high school. Um, my family kind of started calling me the Duke. Ah. You know, just because my, my real name is Dwayne. Mm-hmm. It's so kind of like John Wayne, the dude, yada, yada, yada. And so I didn't think anything of it. Then when I got to high school, uh, my high school freshman O-line coach, actually it was the head coach, um, started calling me the dude. Well, he didn't even know. It just, it just naturally stuck. So I think with a combination of the two, uh, it's kind of been... It's kind of been my nickname now since I was probably in seventh, eighth grade, and then it officially stuck when I was in ninth grade, for sure. Well, for what it's worth, I think Duke and Deuce are some of the dopest nicknames there is. So, with that said, what's up, Law Nation? What's up, Big Game, James? Yeah, man. What's good? What's good, good, man? Yes, indeed. Outside of law, you know, you know, know the law, you know, that that name, that nickname, that that goes hard in the paint. <laughs> I don't know, big game James go real hard. Oh, uh, get time. out of here, man. Yeah, no. <laughs> oh, oh, wow. Hey, Duke, for those that may not know who you are, can you give them a brief description of uh, what you do and and why, I, in my opinion, you're becoming a prominent name amongst the old linemen? Yeah, so um, within the structure of like my business, mm-hmm. I've got really three different things in which uh, I'm able to provide in terms of services. The first one is just um, and kind of, well, let me back up some. Um, what I do is kind of a holistic approach to scouting and developing offensive line. Okay. Let's just throw that out there right now. Um, and so with me, it all starts with the evaluation of talent and the aggregation of information and from there, what I do is I try to make sure that any and everything that I do when I'm evaluating the offensive alignment is very detailed. And that's whether I'm going to work with him or not. Just if I'm providing an evaluation tool or, you know, a, a solid evaluation and a plan for development for a team or something like that, I'm going to try to watch every snap that the guy has played. Most people will watch anywhere between three to five games. I want to make sure that I've got it right. And so I don't mind watching two to three seasons of a guy. Wow. But so what I do, so what I do is I'll go in and um, I'll evaluate offensive offensive linemen. Um, Of course, the other part of my business is uh, training and developing offensive linemen. And that's from a strength and conditioning aspect. That is from a skill and tactical aspect. And then also the mental development um, aspect, which um, I work very closely with uh, uh, sports performance psychologist Gary Frazier, mm-hmm. uh, with a, and he, he, part of his deal is the Process Mastermind. He's worked with uh, Dr. Michael Gervais, who is the head uh, performance psychologist with the uh, Seattle Seahawks. Wow. So I'm very fortunate to work very closely with Gary, uh, not only with my players, but for me personally, um, as I still keep in um, competitive powerlifting. Um, so we've got the evaluation aspect, um, and then we've got the training aspect. Again, strength and conditioning, skill work, tactical, mental. And then we've got the O-line masterminds aspect. So with the O-line masterminds, which we'll get into, but essentially it's the ultimate professional development um, for NFL offensive linemen. Um, and this year, of course, we opened it up to uh, co- uh, college players and coaches. So. Um, between those three umbrellas of the strength training, um, the tactical and all that type of stuff, the strength, uh, the, the evaluations, um, you know, it's just really a holistic approach to 
So offensive line development. And then within there, of course, we've got, you know, the stuff I do with the Nike camps, um, you know, at the high school level. And then you've got the combine training, which is our 10 week program in which we train some of the top athletes making that transition from the college to the pro game. So um, within that, there's a lot that goes along with it, but I'm offensive line year round. Okay. Go ahead, James. <clears throat> oh, I mean, that that was a that was a mouthful, Big Duke. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you doing like 72 jobs. You sound like Law Nation over here. You know what I'm saying? Got like all kind of aspects. <laughs> you know what I mean? Hey, but you know, am I allowed to just dive right into this, or I gotta go in the shallow water? Can I just jump in the deep end? <laughs> hey, jump in. Okay, sure. I want to jump. I want to jump right. It's, it's I'm, world. I'm jumping right in the deep end. Now you said you trained Connor Williams, correct, sir? Yeah. So I trained Connor as he finished up the combine. We mm -hmm. spent time uh, training and working together in between the combine and his pro day and his uh, official visits. Okay. Now I want to ask you a question. Since you did train him, and I know it's a history because I listened to you on the uh, girls, boys and girls podcast, or girls and boys. I'm sorry if I said it mm -hmm. wrong. With Bobby Bell, James Slater, mm -hmm. I watched you. Great interview, by the way, uh, that you did. Mm -hmm. And I, you were saying some things about he had different uh, offensive linemen, coaches, and that that made a difference. I just want to ask you right now. He's playing guard here with the Dallas Cowboys. People have been frustrated because he had to put on the weight. Um, actually, this is his best year statistically, him being with the Cowboys in his third year. But people still get frustrated saying gets moved around in the inside. Does he have the strength? From which you trained with him, is he a better guard or is he a better tackle? The truth. I definitely think it's uh, he's a better guard. Um, the thing that people have to um, factor in when they're talking about Connor is a couple of different things that you kind of touched on. Uh, one, when he was at Texas, he was a tackle. And, mm -hmm. and probably his final three years, he had three different offensive line coaches at Texas. Then you look at how he got hurt, came back, played a little bit at the end of the year, then came to the Cowboys. Since he's been at the Cowboys, he's been hurt. Um, I think he's had two knee injuries. Yes. Uh, and then he's also had three O-line coaches. He's also had three O-line coaches. So when you factor all that in, um, Connor has not had the smoothest transition, not only into the NFL, but playing guard. And so when you're factoring in a guy playing a new position and learning a new position, he's learning from three different O-line coaches in the league. Plus, he's not getting that off-season work time where he's developing He's rehabbing to get back. There's a big difference. I don't think people understand um, when these guys deal with injuries, what that means. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, when guys deal with injuries that are season ending, especially mm -hmm. at the beginning of the year, they go into a dark place simply because, and I'm not saying that Connor did because I'm not sure, but what I'm saying is you're isolated. You don't do the rest of the stuff that the team does. Your, re your assignment is rehab, get better, uh, trained to the best part of your capacity in terms of physically, and then you go home. You're done for the day. You know, so you're not sitting in those meetings. You're not looking at those reps for uh, playing. Your assignment is three to four, sometimes four to five hours a day of rehab. So when you factor in Connor having a couple of injuries and his season is gone that way, he's missed valuable time for development, um, especially when you factor in he's got, he's had different coaches. So as we see, Connor has started to look uh, better at guard. And I think the reason for that is one, he's healthy. Two, he's probably getting a little bit of continuity in the actual position without having to focus on, am I hurt? Can I do this? Um, you know, and I'm not sure about Joe Philbin in terms as, as a coach, but uh, what I can tell you though, is that, you know, you start to figure things out around year three. Um, when you look at the track record for development at any level, high school is four years of development. You have four sure. years to develop. In, co in college, you know, some guys go three and done, but it's typically four and sometimes five years of development. Even when you look at the Olympic cycle, it's four years of development. The Summer Olympics come around every four years. We do this thing in the NFL where we scout a guy based upon physical traits and what he can be and his potential and then all of a sudden we think that since a guy could be good after four years, that the three months from the combine to training camp, he's just going to automatically show up and that potential is going to be realized. 
what people don't know is that a lot of times moving from college to the NFL, the, especially at offensive line, the coaching isn't always better. And mm. many times it's actually a lot worse. That's deep right there. All right. That's deep. Yeah. So I'm going to just, I'm going to leave that there because there's some coaches that have been in that Cowboys building as offensive line coaches that are trash. I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I need with that. So and that's yeah. what we, we yeah. real here. You know, yeah. so, so when you, when you factor that in, um, you're starting to see development in Connor because of him. He's starting to settle in at a position that's been new for him. He's healthy. And maybe he, maybe this coach in Philbin is putting things to him that he can grasp and he relates to. Um, but I still think Connor's best football is ahead of him. I think he is a guard. I think another off season of solid training, wherever he decides to train at, um, he still has that potential to, to be realized. And uh, I wouldn't give up on him. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's yeah. just, I mean, it, it's very clear that across the board the past three years, mm-hmm. one thing is for sure, the Cowboys O-line has regressed a little bit, whether it be with injuries, whether it be with just lack of continuity with guys being in the lineup, you look at a guy like, to me, when I look at the Cowboys O-line, it started to have chinks in the armor when Ron Leary went to Denver. Mm. And oh, slowly you start. Now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then you and then you and then you start to slowly see seventy seven start to deteriorate a little bit because of health, and then you know with Travis not being in there, that's a big loss, and then all of a sudden Doug pre retires, LC kicks over the right tackle, takes him a year to settle in, he's and then he starts to look like a top right tackle, but then can't go this year. Right, Zach Martin is Zach Martin. Zach Martin's a first ballot Hall of Fame, but I still have to yeah. say this: I think a lot. I think a lot of a lot of times Cowboys fans have gotten completely spoiled with Ooh, how I was going to ask you that has been, you know. So I was going to ask you. That, uh, man. Yeah, man, you got yeah. you have you have potentially at one point there were three guys that you can consider Hall of Famers on that O line playing at the same time, plain yeah. and simple. I mean, you so speaking the you truth on that. that yeah, when you lose that. Uh, it's it's difficult to overcome, man. You mentioned coaching, and, and I, I want to know if you are from. I know you're familiar with, but are you? You know more about uh, Bill Callahan because we felt like here in Dallas, Absolutely. he was our best guy. We've we've had maybe maybe you know in the last 25 years, and it showed. Uh, you mentioned how coaching is important, and it's not always better in, in the pros and in college. And you bring up a good point. We had a former offensive line coach who did some weird catch-up drill or some something like that, and the offensive line was terrible. But can you kind of give us a little bit of insight on Bill Callahan and, and why he's missed right now? Yeah, well, you know, Bill Callahan is arguably the best offensive line coach in the game. Mm-hmm. Any and everywhere he's been, he's turned in a great offensive lineman. He's developed them. Um, he's developed that unit really well. Um and the cool thing about Callahan is, is that you can see his track record. You see what he's doing with Cleveland right now. You remember at one point when Washington was rolling, that old line was beating the hell out of people. I mean, yeah. because the Cowboys were on the receiving end of some of those. Um, now, when you lose a guy like Bill Callahan, not only do you lose the development aspect, but no matter where Callahan goes, you lean on Bill to kind of pick the groceries. Because he ha- he typically anywhere he's been has a say on what O lineman he wants to bring in, and so when you get a mind like that, that is not only picking the groceries and saying, okay, I'm gonna pick these ingredients with this, and then I'm gonna cook with it. Typically, it's a recipe for success, and that's what you're kind of seeing with what he's done in Washington and in Cleveland with some of these guys. But losing that out of the Cowboys building with those type of players was definitely a, a big blow. But with that being said, you know, you had, uh, you definitely had Frank uh, come in and Frank Pollock was still a guy that taught, was a hard-nosed coach and taught just as, or similar to as Bill Callahan and still had great success with that Cowboys O-line because it was kind of uh, uh, re uh, reassuring to some of the fundamentals and the technique that those guys were used to when they were rolling. Frank leaves out of the building. They hired Paul Alexander, which was a mistake. Paul, mm-hmm. it, 
I'm not going to even go there, but it was a big mistake. But that's the one I'm talking about. You can go up. there. You can say well, it. We all know it was guy. a damn mistake. We, we, you ain't got a, a sugar no, that. We, we he was he was goofy as hell when they hired him. When he was being all nice and goofy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it was it was just regardless. I mean, there's certain rooms Paul would probably have success in, but that Cowboys mm-hmm. room is not one of them. Period. Not not in the tradition there. And then Colombo came back in, returned some type of continuity and some type of familiar. Riley with with that unit. I think you saw a little bit of that. Uh, but then they decided, you know, staff you like Columbo? On, they Joe You like Colombo do? You did you like Colombo do? I like Colombo. Me too. I like yeah, Colombo. Yeah. They should have got rid of him. They should have kept Colombo. And I and I think you're starting to see uh, you know, everybody was on the Giants really early with Andrew Thomas not playing well, but you're starting to see that old line come together a little bit. See what people don't understand though is when you don't have that off-season program and those OTA reps and all that type of stuff. And you got a new staff, you got new young players. That is a huge issue because offensive line, you need reps. You definitely need those reps and you need that continuity. And you need to be able to have that communication established. And sometimes that communication isn't even verbal. It's just a look or a grunt or a, a bump or something like that, that uh, kind of, you communicate through timing a lot of times and through uh, catchphrases and, you know, one-liners. Just that communication is so huge when you're talking about offensive linemen and, you know, getting the job done. But um, I like Colombo. Um, I think you're starting to see he's doing a pretty darn bang up and good job up in New York. Um, I don't know a great deal about Philbin as a coach. Um, I know of him, um, so I can't really speak on him. Well, I know one thing, Philbin, uh, he, he kind of vouches for uh, Terrence Steele. And I know you probably mm. heard of Terrence Steele or what have you for the Dallas Cowboys on how he giving up a lot of pressure. And I do know that when you're talking about offensive line, yes, it could be those one or two plays out of the series of 60, but those one or two plays can be crucial. This kid is giving up a lot of pressure. So from your evaluation of uh, offensive tackles or offensive linemen, what do you primarily look for? Is it good feet? Is it good kick out of the stance? Is it their uh, adjustments to uh, counterattacks? What do you primarily look for? Narrow base, wide base? What do you What do you judge when you see a tackle or alignment? Well, we want to always start from the ground up. So we're going to look at the yeah. base. We're going to look at, you know, does he have a functional stance? You know, what does his ankle mobility look like? You know, what does the hip mobility look at? And then we're gonna look at how efficient his feet are. I don't give a damn how quick your feet are because you can have quick feet and go nowhere. If they're not putting you in position, shit doesn't matter. You gotta have efficient feet. Efficient mm-hmm. feet are gonna allow you to have effective hands. If you can win the block with your feet first, there's a couple of things that are gonna happen. You're gonna be in that position to be able to strike whether you use independent hands, two hands, or you clap. All right, and then also if you win the block with your feet, is going to put you in a better situation and a better chance to recover. Recover, What makes Zach Martin elite is that he is an elite recoverer, all right? When you go and look at his battles against Fletcher Cox, there's times where Fletch will have him off the first and second step, Mm -hmm. and it looks like if you slow it down, Zach is going to get beat. Then all of a sudden, Zach is able to recover, Mm -hmm. re-leverage his hips and hands, and he's won it, all right? So when you start to factor those things in, it all starts from the ground up. Feet base and then in terms of physical traits of course guys are going to be enamored with or teams are going to be enamored with guys with great length um to me i don't care if a guy is six six and has yeah. 37 and a half inch arms but can't block a troll on twitter i don't want them <laughs> I mean, and, 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 like you have to you have to you have to be able to you have to be able to use your hands efficient and effectively all right I've seen guys with 33-inch arms, 32-inch arms that are deadly with using their hands and their hand usage and just how strong they are, all right? When you get a guy that has long arms and can use their hands like Tyron, then you got something special. But the fact of the matter is, is it all starts from the ground up. If you don't have a guy with efficient feet, it's difficult to teach that efficient feet. And most of the time, I would say 99% of the time, he's going to be out of position to even use his hands. Yeah, so is that the problem? Because is is that what they doing to Terrence? They getting him? They getting him to turn his shoulder? No, no. To reach or let, a no. Launch, what is the issue with him? 
Not at all. I think what you're seeing with Terrence is, for one thing, what round was Terrence drafted? Was exactly. Was <laughs> right? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So, There's a reason why he so, went undrafted. So, so at Texas Tech, you saw a guy with mm -hmm. physical traits with not many critical right. factors. So, right. so physical traits are the things that you can see. All right. right. The physical traits are the things that you can see. Okay, he's six five and a half. He's got long arms. He runs and bends well. That's great. Mm -hmm. All right. But now let's think. Look at the critical factors. All right. The efficient feet. The strike zone. The strike timing. Um, is he? Uh, is his ability to recover? The anti rotation. If he gets his shoulder turned, is he able to square a guy back up? You know, right. those are all things in terms of offensive line play that I look for that are always transferable to Sundays. So mm -hmm. Terrence didn't have that. That being said, Terrence is going to be a good football player oh. because he has he has the efficient feet, and you're starting to see him have the timing with his hands. The thing right. that Terrence doesn't have is that ab absolute strength yet, and that he's yeah. got to come up with a plan in terms of getting to his spot, making the stance, and then what is he going to do with his hands? All right, early on in the season, especially against Miles Garrett, he went to a two-hand strike every time. And what was end up happening was if he would stay square with a two-hand strike, all Miles was doing was pinning his hands and then working him to the inside. If he right. got to his spot and then tried to punch out with the two-hand strike, all Miles was doing was swiping him and then dipping and ripping underneath him. So once Terrence figures out, all right, my feet are efficient enough to put me in position, now I have to have a plan with my hands, he's going to be even better. Hmm. Uh, but I think one offseason of Terrence getting stronger they, you guys, you guys got to realize, you guys are, people are judging this guy as if he was drafted right. to be the guy. Else I, ain't, to be be, right now. I was right, about to right, say, right. I was, that's you so know? crazy you said that because he's only in because we had three tackles go down. Three tackles. That's, exactly. you, know, right. you so, don't plan on playing your fourth so tackle like, for 16 games. Right. No, people live in, people live in this fantasy world like tackles grow on, offensive linemen grow on trees. Here's the thing. Most NFL teams do not have the luxury of six to seven good offensive linemen. Most NFL teams normally have four to five really good offensive linemen. And then guys you win with or guys you can win with but don't win because of, you know. Mm. The Cowboys have been used to having five guys across the line that you win because of, you know. Wow. When you look at, again, when Tyron was playing, when you look at Leary, when you look at Frederick, when you look at uh, even Doug Free, Doug Free and Zach Martin, you won because of those guys, you know? Yeah. And then you put in the LC, you know, you won because of those guys. So when you look at that, it's a world of a difference. And teams don't have that luxury, let alone backups, let alone backups to come in and say, oh, okay, this guy's a backup. He's, he's still in there for all-pro. Why is he not getting the job done? He's a backup for a reason, you know? Uh, so I think when we start to recondition how we think about O-line play, one, and then backup O-linemen, it's a world of a difference in terms of being, you know, really conscious of what to expect. I, I love that he said uh, we have to recondition know. how we think about offensive linemen. That's very true as, as a fan, and we are fans first, even though we cover the team and try to, you know, bring the facts and everything to the organization. We're fans, but as a fan, especially a Cowboy fan, we get very impatient. Right. And right. and like you said, we've been spoiled with Absolutely. amazing offensive line play. So the minute we see some of these guys, you know, struggle, we're ready to go. You know, you got Connor Williams has been on the out since year one for most Cowboy fans. And the same thing is mm -hmm. happening with Terrence Steele. Now we saw year three, Connor Williams is improving. You know, I know he got pushed back by Cam Hayward against the Steelers, guys. I do know. But Connor Williams hasn't right. been your problem this year. We know that, right? We know the problem was on the right tackle where the guy is undrafted. So Connor's getting better. Maybe still will get better later on down the line. But the plan isn't to play still right now. We, we wanted LC or, or Irving. Well, I'm going to say this. I'm an offensive yeah, line coach, I mean, Duke. Go ahead, Duke. No, go ahead, Duke. I was going to say, and, um, you know, since Irving has been back from injury, he's looked pretty darn good. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, uh -huh. he's had moments or whatever. But, but I mean – but I mean, Irving, Irving is a guy that's played a lot of football and he's settled in that position and um, he's going to give you the best he has. And it's good enough. It's good enough at this point. You know, he's not going to be tiring. Teams don't expect him to be tired, 
but the reason why he keeps a job is because he can get out there and play. Mm. Oh, I got What's a couple your, questions. Oh, oh, go ahead, go oh, ahead, Jay. My bad. My bad. Go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, what was your scouting report on Connor McGovern? Uh, the guy, I think that he, he came in in the Washington game, and he played pretty solid, didn't give up no pressures nor sacks. So uh, what is your scouting report on him? You know, interesting. Connor is interesting because coming out of Penn State, uh, I thought he was average. You know, I didn't think he was a world beater. I thought he possessed the critical factors, not many physical traits that you like to see, which I don't care. I'm more of a critical factor, technique, fundamental foundation guy. Um, but quite frankly, I didn't know what to expect from him because we hadn't seen him in three years, really. And so I didn't know what to expect when he came in in Washington. I thought he was serviceable. I thought he did a, a oh, yeah. decent job. But he's not a guy that's going to be a world beater that you think is going to crack your lineup. I mean, plain and simple. Um, with that being said, I've been very impressed. And I think his best football is ahead of him. Tyler Biotis is going to be a good yeah. one. Wow. Biotis is going to be a really, really good, good player. You know, he had that hip injury last year, hip surgery. I think you need another full year of, uh, you know, just corrective rehab, uh, strength training, and then just, uh, you know, redefining and re-ingraining uh, fundamentals. And I think that you're going to have another solid Wisconsin center to hold down the Cowboys point for a long time. Man, that's music to our ears. Okay. Well, yeah. I, I got a question. I, here, here's my question then. So you said basically Connor McGovern basically don't is not doesn't have a future in Dallas. Is that what you're telling me? That's not what I said. I said, no, I, no, I, I'm is, asking, is he going to be a starter? Right, because I'm I'm asking because you got Connor Williams at left guard, right? And you said you feel like the, his best mm -hmm. football is ahead of him. You're saying Connor Williams, he just looked average, and even though he played pretty good Connor in that McGovern. Washington game, McGovern, do you? Yeah. Do you? Yeah, I'm sorry, Connor McGovern. McGovern. So, do you think that he's just going to be a backup the whole time, and then that's just the spot that's Connor Williams, and we should just look at that? That's the question I'm asking. Is he just going to? Is he a career backup in your eyes? I'm going to answer a question with a question. All right. <laughs> All right. Connor has been hurt. Connor Williams has been hurt. Connor mm -hmm. McGovern has been on on the roster when Connor McGovern uh, returned from injury the past two years, was mm -hmm. he able to push for a starting position? No. And that, but I'm saying is this, he missed all of last year. Right. And this is really considered his rookie year. All right. He hasn't got, he mm -hmm. hasn't been able to crack the lineup because they penciled him in as left guard. Connor Williams is their guy. So I didn't feel like he would get those reps, but when Connor Williams went out or he played that guard position, I thought he played adequately, Zach Martin. But you're the you're the guru. I'm just asking you. When you said so, he was average at Penn State, I'm thinking like, is he ever going to be able to crack that lineup? Because you got guard, you got Connor Williams established at left guard. Is he going to be the career backup? And he's not going to be able to ch challenge Connor Williams in your opinion. I think if Connor continues, to, Connor Williams continues to get better and show improvement, what we saw this year, I don't think. He's going to beat him out. Okay. And so, but you bring up a great point with this is technically Connor McGovern's like really rookie season. So again, I'm not ready to give up and say that he's a wash. Mm -hmm. We can't give up on guys after a year or two, especially when they're dealing with injury. It's mm -hmm. the same conversation we just had about Connor Williams. Right. You know, Connor Williams has been able to play football, but he's played with and has dealt with some serious knee injuries, you right. know? Mm -hmm. So we have to factor that in as well, but um, Connor McGovern is still, I think, a couple of years away from being a uh, a long term starter or even contending for a starting position. I think okay. the coaching staff kind of tells us what they feel about Connor McGovern when Zach Martin has to slide out the right tackle, um, and they put in a, another guy, Connor, uh, instead of Connor McGovern, and then when it was the backup center guys, uh, Joe Looney, uh, Joe Looney comes Joe Looney, back, yeah. he's the guy. You know, so they're just overlooking McGovern right now. And I shouldn't say overlooking, but maybe he's just not ready for full-time duty. I will say this, though. When he has gotten in the game, he's been serviceable. So that's a, that's yeah. something that to be happy about moving forward with the guy. Duke, Duke, if I'm the Cowboys, I'm doing everything Definitely. in my power 
I'm doing everything in my power to re-sign Joe Looney at the end of the year so I can keep him on this roster. And as well as uh, what are your thoughts on Brandon Knight? Because I thought that he really stood up, and that's big game James guy as well. I think that – I, 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 like I think he could be a starter in this league. Give me Brandon Knight in, in a dark like alley. Knight, he, 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 he nice. In I like future, him. In the future. I, I think in the I think in the future he could be a starter, kind of in that same trajectory. If you remember, uh, I'm gonna throw a Cowboys name out to you guys. That was a backup, backup, backup. Then he got a year where he started a full year, and then a half a year. Jeremy Parnell, Mr. Parnell, Parnell, over there, you know, yeah. JP was kind of in that same mode where, when he got into games early, you saw it. And then you wouldn't see him for, you know, a couple of weeks. And then all of a sudden the injury come in and he got a little better and a little better and a little better. And they got a little stronger. And then the next thing you know, you're like, damn, our backup tackle is a starter in this league. And then he gets paid. So I think you can see that same maturation with Brandon Knight. Because I tell you what, I like what I saw from Brandon Knight in the run game and in pass pro. It was unfortunate that, and and I'm going to tell you something else. When he got hurt, when he got rolled up, I saw when it happened, it was like midway through the fourth quarter. I didn't think anything of it because he hopped his ass up and kept playing. Mm-hmm. The next thing you know, right after the game, they're like, oh, you know, he's going to be out, you know, eight weeks, MCL. And it was evident that he was, it was evident that he should have been hurt with the impact in which he got rolled up on. But just his toughness to come back in the game and finish playing, uh, I think it tells you a lot about who he is. I, I, I liken Brandon Knight as our future swing tackle, honestly. And then you hope that maybe he can develop into a Jeremy Parnell whenever Tyron Smith is ready to hang him up. So, and everybody wants to draft a tackle, which I, I get. If you're at three and you take, and you could, we could talk about that here soon, uh, <laughs> the, the, the left tackle from Oregon, Sewell, then yes, I get that. But Brandon Knight, let's see what he has here, man. Because if you don't have to do that and you can get by with Brandon Knight at left or right tackle, then let's do it. It's three years down the right down the road. Let me ask you a quick question, Duke. Uh, just bringing up Brandon Knight. I've all, I like Brandon Knight since he came into the the program. I said he was going to be the swing tackle last year. Uh, I totally agree with you. I've been saying everything that you were saying with Terrence Steele that um, the traits were there, and I think that's why the Cowboys were excited because the length, the strength, the the long arms, the the tip, the prototypical size. But you could tell when you first looked at him, he had to get stronger. You could just tell he had to get stronger, and he was green. So now you got a Brandon Knight who's coming back. So I think you can have Terrence Steele and Brandon Knight as your swing tackles, and you can feel good about that. But my question is this: If you have Brandon Knight coming back from injury, you have Terrence Knight, Terrence Steele, who's still starting. Brandon Knight has proved he can swing left, he can swing right. Would you go to Brandon Knight to settle down the offense? Because in my opinion, you're not hurting a Terrence Steele's mind because you're saying, hey, we 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 like your potential. We're going to go with this and, and, and let Terrence Steele continue maybe to learn Develop, a little bit. Yeah. But would you go back to Brand, Brandon Knight as the starting right tackle and sit Steele down? You know, me, point. just off the cuff, yeah, I would, I would say, you know what, Brandon Knight proved to be um, you know, a functional player. And I think you like what you got in uh, Cam Irving right now. You keep Cam at left, and then you put Brandon Knight at right tackle. Um, that being said, you got to kind of, there's a couple of things that you got to evaluate mm-hmm. in terms of when he's ready to come back. Mm-hmm. Um, does Is he going to be able to play with confidence? Is he going to be able to move the way he did? Is he going to be limited in terms of the pitch count? Because um, mm-hmm. those were all leaning towards keep it staying with steel. You know, because right. the last thing that you want to do is shake up the lineup and put Brandon Knight out there. And then, you know, he's not able to go after a couple of series. Then you bring Steele back in. It's just, it's a recipe for disaster. Great question. Um, I would say the coach in me, I'm sticking with Steele. I'm saying the guy that's looking at best player right now, I'm saying I would put Brandon Knight if he's available and ready to go out there. With that being said, though, I still think that, you know, you're going to still see, continue to see flashes from Steele. And again, he's just got to continue to develop. Mm-hmm. Appreciate, appreciate that answer. Um, Cause I, I, I'm totally feeling you. And I think that's what the staff, cause even Mike McCarthy said, we want to keep continuity 
across the line. So I think that's why you're still going to see Steel. It's important for O-line. Yeah. And unless Steel gets hurt, then then that's when you probably might see a Brandon Knight slip in because they're going to probably try to roll with Steel all the way to the end. I am very interested, though, because... Yeah, and I... Go ahead, dude. I was going to say, again, we just, we have to, we have to remember here that Steele essentially was going to be the the third and fourth option at tackle, okay? Like, Steele was not, he wasn't a high draft pick. He was not drafted at all. Nobody, if we were talking about this time last year, nobody would have said Terrence Steele is taking 95% of the snaps of the Cowboys this year. Let's keep that in mind. So people, right. so people keep asking about what about Steel? What about Steel? He's not your starting right tackle, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, it's LC. When LC comes back, LC will be fine, you know. And we won't be having this conversation. We're living in the moment because, right. you know, that's who's out there right now. But it's not the kid's fault that he's not ready to play right now. There's a reason why he didn't get drafted, and then there's a reason why he was a backup, plain and simple. And I think he started, I think the first week, uh, you know, it was talks about him being on the peace squad. And then when they realized that, you know, maybe they were having some issues with tackle, he ended up getting, he ended up getting the nod to end up coming in and start. Well, let me ask one last question and I'm be chill fellas. I'm sorry. Why did they, in my, in my opinion, then why did they have, see, here's my question with Philbin. You said you didn't know him and I get you. And that's why I was frustrated with Mike, Mark Colombo leaving. I think Mark Colombo would have still been good for this offensive line and still made it tough and nasty. He, he had that nasty, but you had, they had Brandon Knight at left guard. That just disappointed me. I'm like, what is Phil been doing? Like, you had him at left guard. He proved last year as an undrafted rookie, he was solid at tackle. Leo Collins went out at tackle. Tyron Smith went out at tackle. He proved that position he was good at. Why did you have him at left guard and you're putting no. Steele out there? When he proved last year he could play the tackle position, you went with Steele from game one. You just said, Duke, and I trust everything you say, that he was not ready. You had a guy last year who proved that he could play in strong games. So why did you have him at left guard? And then all of a sudden now, oh, let's put him at tackle. I, that's the thing that frustrated me, Duke, in all of this. Yeah, you know what? And I don't have an answer for that. Like I said, I don't know Philbin. I don't really know his philosophy too much. So I'm not, I'm not really sure um, what the thought process was behind that. In terms of staying with Colombo, uh, you know, there was some major changes that happened within the Cowboys organization in terms of coaching staff. And so oftentimes when that happens, especially from an offensive standpoint, when the offensive staff goes, you know, it really is up to that OC. And if the OC has some pull, you know, who the O-line coach is going to be. So I'm not sure. Maybe it was a point where, um, you know, Colombo, they talked to, to Colombo about coming back. Maybe they didn't. Maybe when, you know, JG left, he knew that, you know, when he got the New York job that Colombo was going to be his old line coach. So, I don't know. There's just a lot of stuff behind the scene that we may not be uh, privy to. But, uh, you know, I can't, like I said, I, I can't really speak on Philbin and his reasoning for certain things because I don't, I don't really know him. See, Dude, here, here, hold on, hold on, hold on, real quick. Go ahead, go ahead, go hold ahead, on. Here's go ahead. why I push back on, on the Philbin slander. What yeah. I, I do this with James because the the nation is holding on to that one thing with Philbin starting Brandon Knight over Terrence Steele. I t- we totally yeah. we totally it's fair, but he lost center one, center two, tackle one, two, three, four, and <laughs> offensive guard one, and he's got guys like Irving who we hate it is looking good. Your fourth round pick in center. Center, hardest position to play, right? That's what we talked about. One of the smart, hard, smartest positions on the field. He's got his rookie center playing good. Connor McGovern, when he comes in, he looks pretty good. Connor Williams, who we maligned for the last few years, is improving. Brandon Knight has improved, right? All these players aren't terrible players. The offensive line right. collectively has not been that good because, like you said, continuity. But if you actually really look into it, Philbin has gotten some decent play out of these guys individually, maybe not collectively because they're keep mixing and matching. And you know it, dude, you need that continuity. We're not afforded that this year. So I got to give Philbin actually a pat on the back because he's working with a, a mass unit. And aside from Terrence Steele, 
we're seeing some solid improvements across the board. Am I wrong here? Yeah, you, you, you straight. I, mean, man. I, 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 I can say a little pushback on that, but this is, yeah. I ain't going to do that. We'll do it when Duke goes. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Law. You know, man, well, the guy gonna have to get a mulligan for this year. <laughs> you know, this is how it goes, man. We, we will see next year when he get a full off season, and there will be no bevy of excuses because then we have to look at it and say, okay, all right, this is his philosophy now. Uh, do you agree, Duke? Man, yeah, I mean, it's just it's a tough situation. Uh, to lose everything that he lost and still put a functional unit out there. It goes back to what I said. Offensive linemen don't grow on trees. It's one thing to have five really good ones. And then when those five or four of those five are taken away or three of those five are taken away, you don't just plug in new good players. I mean, you got to kind of go with what's available and whatever the hell you can roll with. Plain and simple. Yeah. Yeah, that's just, that's the reality of it. What the offensive line is the only unit that everybody got to be on the same page. You can have one bad wide receiver, and on the front four of the defensive side, you can have a bad interior guy, and the whole unit would not look like that. But an offensive lineman, if you have a bad center or if you have a bad tackle, that whole offensive line, people gonna be like, "Hey, that trash, man, that trash offensive line." Uh, I'm gonna ask you this though, and this is a, a storyline that a lot of people like to bring up. What comes first, the chicken or the egg? Right? What comes first? The running back ability to run or the offensive line? Can you break that down for everybody? Oh, man. So the truth. it's very simple. Like, it, <laughs> it's very simple. Without the, without, without the O-line, I mean, without the O-line, running back is not going to have success. Plain and simple. But there's some things. So O-line comes first. You got to have an O-line to be able to establish the run game. Now, sustaining the run game and breaking off long runs and committing to certain things. It's a conscious effort and a group effort from running backs to tight ends and even old linemen. Reason okay. being is when you start to look at some of those long runs, yes, old linemen are taking care of the point of attack, but then some of those long runs are dependent upon backs being able to set up different looks, read hats, and then being able to escape into the second level and allowing their linemen to get there to the second level to be able to execute those blocks on the second level. When you look at things and runs, like if you're in, you know, 11 personnel or 12 personnel, you know, it's very key for a tight end to be able to collect or get a backside cutoff or work with the tackle on a tray block to that backside backer. If you don't get that, you got a free runner. So when you look at initially, yes, it's the O-line, you know, that needs to be able to take care of the run game, but a sustained running game and being able to break those long runs and be able to take people's will, it's a group effort between O-line, tight ends, and then running backs setting up blocks and being able to dip in, dip out, hit the hole and get into the second level. It's a whole premise. And then furthermore, when you start to look at that too, when that O-line and running back combo can start doing those type of things, then you're able to set up play action pass and run action uh, fits and then beat guys over the top. And I think in times in past years when we've seen Dallas had great success, we've seen that O-line be dominant. We've seen Zeke do a great job of setting up blocks and then being able to run through contact through the second level. And then all of a sudden, you're able to beat guys over the top. You know, so... Um, Again, great question, and the chicken or the egg question, O-line <laughs> first, but then for sustainability, it's a group effort. No doubt, no doubt. Zeke, Ellie, you listening? That, you know, I, I got a rebuttal. <laughs> 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 so, I, 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 hey, Big Duke, I, okay, so here's my thing. The offensive line, This is you said the offensive line definitely first. And I already know the game is one in the trenches. You don't got an offensive yeah. line, you don't got a defensive line, you ain't winning games. That's just, a, that's just a fact. So here's my thing, and this is no disrespect, but if you're paying a running back, right, high dollar, one of the top paid <laughs> running backs. I'm just talking. That's all I'm doing. Then you're paying a running back high dollar, right? And – Shouldn't he be able to overcome the – because you said instinct and be able to press the hole and see certain things because sometimes the block may not always be there and that running back can make plays when the block is not there. I've seen it from plenty of running backs doing it. 
if the running back is not doing that, then why would you want to pay? And I'm not dissing, but why would you pay the running back that kind of money if it's only contingent, if it's contingent on that O-line? You understand what I'm saying? Because didn't you think if you're paying a running back that top dollar, he should be able to overcome certain things that the O-line is not doing? Mm. What do you think? Yeah, but yeah, but those situations weren't exposed beforehand because all you saw were the continuity up front and then those blocks being set up, Zeke being able to read hats, dip in, dip out, be elusive because of that O-line that was in front of him. You know? Now, had Zeke come into a contract year with an O-line this year, you probably don't, he probably doesn't make what he makes. Mm-hmm. You know? So right. I mean it's it's easy, it's easy on the back half to look and say, yeah, but what about this? But the fact of the matter is that knowledge wasn't available to us two years mm-hmm. ago when Zeke got his deal. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Um I do think though that there's other intangibles that I've seen that just I mean, like for instance, ball security. That takes that's not an O line thing. That's a that's a running back thing. You know, you gotta take care of the ball. Um, also think stand on your feet and missing stuff like that. I mean, that's a running back thing in terms of vision, just overall balance. And uh, it could be that he's not familiar with where the hats are going to be and the timing of the blocks is setting up and stuff like that. Because all of that stuff is timing. And I think a lot of that goes back to a couple of different things. The OTAs and off-season program, okay. finding that timing, finding that groove. And then also just a whole new group in here, you know? So um, in hindsight, yes. Okay. We would, we would like our big money guy to be, be able to, to do some things, but you can't make chicken. You can't make salad out of chicken shit. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's not. I mean, the, the, the entire offense right now in terms of the front five is in flux. Uh, you know, you don't have your quarterback. It's just, come on now. Like, there's so many things that are stacked against you. I mean, like, Zeke could be better, though, 100%. Yeah. 100%, mm-hmm. he could be better. But it's, it's not like he's doing it. If we if we were seeing this out of Zeke and he had resemblance of his starting line and with that, it would be a problem. We'd be like, oh, shit, you know? Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, but I mean, like, I mean, what's around him right now? It's kind of hard to judge yeah. so, Zeke yeah. this year because of the, the mass unit up front. It, and and the quarterback situation, Dude, all, you, all you can really judge him on is you know how he looks once he gets past past the craziness up front, <laughs> and that's tough yeah. because against the Steelers that barely was happening. So, on one hand, yes, you you can't sit here and, and blame Zeke. the The blame, in my opinion, comes at the staff for paying a running back two years prior, but that's an entirely different story. If we're talking about the actual play, Zeke is, not, Zeke's doing what he can do. It's not his fault. Not his fault. No. Right. 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 Yeah, it ain't his fault. <laughs> he, he sure they gonna get the money back. Hey, so. we, we, nah, we, I'm, we, I, I'm gonna tell you right nah. now. I never hurting on a player getting his money. Never hating <laughs> right. on a player getting his money. But we're just talking about the. I'm just mm. talking about the big scheme of things. If yeah. you're figuring like you can run a team, like if you have a Dak Prescott now who's taken up to elite status, I feel like. When he first came in the league, he needed an Ezekiel Elliott because he was still finding his way. Sure. Now, just in my opinion, Dak is elite, and now he doesn't need an Ezekiel Elliott, and that's no shade on Zeke, and that's not disrespecting Zeke. I just feel like he can have a regular back and still do those things, just my opinion. Ooh. Spicy. And we can still win. Maybe. It's, it's, it is it is a maybe. maybe. Yeah. Hey, and let me get over here to this uh this draft over here, man. Yeah, before we get uh, yeah. that tape on Pinasul, I think that's how you say the name. Uh, uh if, if with the third pick or the fourth pick, Panay. Okay, <laughs> my bad. I, I murdered the guy's name, but but would you pick him up if you have the third or the fourth overall draft pick? Would you pick him up for the Dallas Cowboys? I think that really goes into the evaluation of which what is Tyron Smith's status going to be? Mm. You know, if you get a clean bill of health and prognosis that he's good to go, this surgery corrected any and everything that he needed. You know, he, oh, you know, he, you know, the doctors say he could play as long as he wants to play at this point, then I think you got to look to do something else. But if his prognosis is, hey, we don't know, then you might want to take a hard, long look at getting a guy like Panay, 
um, with that top pick. And here's something else that you guys might not know. Uh, Panay is being represented by Tyron Smith's agent, Joe Pano. Mm. So um, that'll be uh, that'll be mm-hmm. interesting there to see mm-hmm. exactly how that plays out. Mm-hmm. That's good. Is he more, right is he there, more of a guard or a tackle on this next level? His, uh, Panay. Panay is definitely a tackle. Definitely a tackle. Definitely a tackle. Mm. Let me ask you one question, Duke. When you yeah. when you're evaluating these guys coming from college or even working with them, well, let's just say coming out of college, what would you say, man? That's a great that guy's going to be a good offensive tackle. What's really the traits that really stand out to you to say that's going to be a good offensive lineman, whether it be tackle, guard, or you know, just yeah. some of the traits that kind of stand out to you? What do you really I look at? I think. I think we already covered it. Uh, one of the things that I look at that are going to, or not one of the things, but a few of the things that I look at, we kind of covered earlier, but it's just those transferable traits in terms of the efficient footwork, um, always being in position to win with the hands, being able to do a couple of different things with your hands, independent hand uses, that two-hand strike, being able to create leverage with the hands, standing the guy up, redirecting force up, um, being able to anchor uh, consistently without getting pushed too far back, uh, being able to re-leverage and that means being able to grab redirect force back up and then resync your hips underneath you mm-hmm. um if a guy gets his shoulder pressed open being able to rework hands and anti-rotate back into it um all that recovery stuff all that stuff directly translates into sunday's game um a lot of it you can't teach a guy just has it or he doesn't um mm-hmm. so when i see a guy do that consistently on saturdays i know he's got a good chance to be a really good pro in the run game, when we're looking at tackles, we want to look at guys that can uh, move the point of attack on that uh, angle drive block or that push out block or that base block. Uh, we want to see guys that can reach and capture the end, uh, you know, with, with keeping their feet and, and hands all in sync. We want to see that backside cutoff, him being able to drive from the backside leg, open up that play side hip to really get across and cut off a three technique or even uh, sometimes like a tight shade. Uh, we want to see him be able to uh, climb to the second level, uh, target and track guys at the second level and execute blocks. Those are all things that we look for um, that, again, are going to be uh, that are going to easily translate to the game on Sunday. Um, it's great to have those physical traits of a guy being athletic and showing great length. But if he's not doing those things consistently, mm-hmm. then you know you got a bit more of a project than people think. So when I'm looking at uh, Saturday's game, and I'm looking for transferable traits. It starts from the ground up and all the stuff we just talked about. Appreciate you, man, on that one, man. That's some good stuff. Sure. I hear a lot of good things about recovery. I think recovery is one of the biggest things that I've hear keep on hearing you saying. If, if a guy can really recover quick, that's an excellent trait that, that offensive linemen have. You might get beat on the initial hit, but if you can recover and still stand your ground and hold your ground, uh, that's an excellent trait. So I'm going to just be – you're just giving me knowledge for me to look at an offensive lineman. Hell, I don't know what the hell I'll be looking at sometimes. <laughs> when, you, when you say that, James, and when you say that, Duke, about recovery, I think about Zach Martin. I feel like – and you can, you can say this, Duke. I feel like he's Ooh. one of the best in the entire yeah. league at recovery because it's so crazy when you watch his tape. You can see him get beat, and you brought it up with Fletcher. Fletcher can get him initially, but he's so great at the recovery, you don't even realize unless you're studying that tape that he got beat. But Zach recovered very well. Yes, indeed. And I did and, an hour and thirty minute. I did a. I did an hour and thirty minute film breakdown of Zach Martin versus Fletcher Cox. Mm. Every snap that they played against each other from last year, from mm. last year, and the resounding theme is it was a heavyweight fight that <laughs> ended up being one sided with Zach Martin winning almost every rep. Jeez. But it's in terms of the end result, but the means and the process for him winning every rep was a damn battle, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's one of the fun yeah. matchups to watch every year, year in, year out is Zach Martin versus Fletcher Cox. Go ahead, lose a lot. Yeah, no, I was going to ask him outside of Penney, uh, who else in this draft? I know it's midway, midway through this season, but who we should take a look at in this draft as it relates to offensive tackle, who do you have a mind on uh, as a good guy uh, out there? Man, you know what? I like, uh, there's a couple of different guys that I like. Panay is good, uh, you know, but I like a guy that's one of my favorite is Rashawn Slater. 
from Northwestern. Uh, Rashawn is 6'4", 310. Reminds me uh, how he moves and plays like Teron Armstead. Hmm. Just, just efficient mover, strong as hell, violent hands, can get on you real fast if he needs to, mm-hmm. but has the range to run guys over the top. Probably the most impressive tape I've seen against Chase Young last year. So hmm. Rashawn Slater out of Northwestern is down. good. Um, what was that? I'm writing that down. Writing it down because I had I had Alex, <laughs> right, we, I, yeah. I had like, a like yeah yeah Alex Leatherwood and the Samuel kid from Texas. I, I we had listen to everything guys. you saying, Duke. Every dude you name, we what we watching. <laughs> Straight up. Yeah. Uh, another guy. Another guy who. Another guy who to me is going to be one of the top. The top guys in the draft is going to be Christian uh, Derisaw from Virginia Tech. Uh, okay. To me. Um, I think more and more that I watch Christian, when you see that big 77 on tape for Virginia Tech, you see a guy that's got a lot of, he's got a lot of traits. He's got a lot of critical factors and he's got some nastiness to him. Um, I think he's going to be a good player. I think he's going to go higher than people think. Christian Derisaw. I, I put a name in the comment box yeah, for y'all to see, yeah. man, so y'all can Google. We need nasty, yeah, it's, it's, it's you about, feel me, Duke? It's draft time for Cowboys, Duke. Yeah, Duke. <laughs> <laughs> it's draft time for us, and we well, need you know what? I t- that line. Well, I told everybody last year uh, when I got Makai Beckin what type of player he was going to be, and everybody Big picked boy. him apart. They told me, oh, he was fat, he was this. I said, all right. I said, I'm telling y'all, when this guy comes out, he's going to be something like you guys never saw before. And I think people are starting to see that now. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, people are starting to have the flu when they play against him. They're starting to have four because <laughs> they don't want to be on his damn highlight tape. Dog, he, he is so, so big. He's a huge dude, Duke, dude. Yeah. He's like seven foot. <laughs> he the dude you make on Madden. We say, I'm just going to make a he seven is. foot, 400 pound lineman. Man, it's a big boy, man. Um, he, it, it's about, let me let me tell you, let me tell you, let me tell you, six eight, three sixty five, and he's not fat. Can jump out the gym, runs a five flat forty. One of the strongest, most explosive guys I've been around, and the nicest guy ever until he puts on the helmet. Oh, when he puts on the helmet. Man. He, it's a, it's a, it's he's a monster. Um, it's like he's got an alter ego where he's a villain when he gets on the field. And I tell you, there's some pictures that have been, uh, that, that they've been releasing uh, the Jets once a week when him coming down the tunnel. There's some of the most terrifying pictures I've ever seen. It's just, you got this big dude that looks larger than life with mean? bad intentions. And mm. he's going out there and doing it every week. So, um, you know, again, I see the potential for a Christian Dearsaw to kind of be in that same light. Mm. Um, from Virginia Tech. He, he's a really good player. I think Panay Stool also has the opportunity to be able to make some of those physical splash plays as well. I think Panay's just got to be a little more consistent with his technique. I think that there's some things he got away with in college. He's not going to be able to get away with on Sundays. It's going to absolutely expose him that he's got to continue to work on. But uh, I don't think this tackle class is as deep as last year, but I think the guard class is very good this year. I think you got some guys, uh, much like last year at the tackle class, when you look at, you know, your Beckton and you look at, uh, you know, Andrew Thomas is starting to play better. When you look at your Jedrick Wills, when you look at your Christian Works, those are all guys that we talked about like, hey, you know, it's all ice cream. Pick which one you like. Pick what flavor you like because Mm -hmm. they're all eventually going to be good. Um, I think you kind of saw that. You got that same compliment this year in – in, in a lot of ways with the guard position. Mm. When you look at a guy like Wyatt Davis out of Ohio State, when you look at a Trey Smith out of Tennessee, I mean, there's mm. some guys out there that can absolutely get after you. When you look at an Ed Ingram out of LSU, mm. you know? So what, what about that Alabama some kid? Some of these things together. Yeah, I was saying the Deion, one, Brown, Brown. Deion yeah, Brown. Brown, that Brown kid, yeah. Big, big SOB. He reminds me in the mode. There are certain guys that can come in right away, that can come in right away and physically dominate. And the guy that kind of started this was Gabe Jackson and Larry Wolford. 
you know, where yeah. they didn't look like plus athletes. They were just big and they, they got after you. And then all of a sudden you had a Trey Turner that came right after them from LSU. And now you got a guy like, uh, you got a guy like who I worked with this past year, Damian Lewis, who's come in and from LSU and has started and has been very good for the Seahawks. Deontay Brown, in my opinion, is in that same mode where it's just like, he's not going to have all those physical traits that you want, but he's just going to be a guy that's going to come in and be hard-nosed as hell at the guard position. He's going to give you some quality football real early. Man, that's some good stuff, stuff, man. You got some, man. You got a wealth of knowledge over there with that's, all of these guys. Hey, man, we're gonna definitely hit you up during draft. I season, was just about man. to you say gonna, that. Come on the draft show. You was already reading the damn thing. Come on the damn draft we, show. We do so a we talk. Hey, dude, we do a legitimate, <laughs> legitimate draft yeah. show and draft buildup. So we definitely want to hit you back up around draft time and try to get you on here because that's when it's re- people are really going to be diving into these guys that you're talking about. I wrote these names down and I will be looking into right. them for sure. Man, we definitely will, man. We got a guy named Vach Lombardi, man, and uh, he really, really love offensive linemen talk, and his philosophy is draft an offensive lineman every year. Draft them. Just draft them. Just find them and draft them. And, I, and I'm more of a defensive mind guy. I can't stand offense. Give me defense, <laughs> defense, defense. I, I always tell people, man, think about it. The teams that have the best defense win Super Bowl. Defense win what, you know? But but I, I, I feel what you're saying, and, and I love the continuity like you broke it down with the offensive line and offensive tackle. Man, it, it, I just can't wait to uh, talk draft once the season is over with all the way. Indeed. Appreciate you for coming. Yeah, it'll, be, it'll be here fast. It, it'll be here fast, man. I tell you what, November's already halfway over. Yeah, We're right. down the home stretch and the final stretch of the NFL season, man. This has been an unconventional year, mm-hmm. and um, – you know, I, I want to take some time to kind of go away from football and just kind of just talk about like, you know, through a lot of uncertainty and uncharted times, like there's a couple of things that we got to do as a society. And that, right. that's one in times of disruption and displacement. We got to we got to adapt. We got to improvise. And then we could we always got to look forward. You know, we got to look at what the next plan is. You know, we got to make sure that we got a plan A, B and C because right. we can't afford to look back you know, in times of displacement. And so my message to everybody is no matter where you are, uh, do the small things, do the small things and lead where you are, man. Because if we can all do our part to really adapt, innovate and always look forward and kind of lead where we're at, like we're going to all continue to get through this. And as we talked about earlier, return to whatever that new normal is going to be. But all of a sudden you look at this year, this year shot by with so much adversity. Right. And here we are. Still, with the great luxury of being able to talk about football, we all love, but yeah. uh, just lead where you are. And I think if we continue to do that, as you know, um, in our communities, in our in our neighborhoods, or whatever we want, you know, that's one thing that I continue to preach to, uh, you know, all the players that I work with. You know, no matter where they may be, hey, you know, make sure you're taking care of home base. Make sure you're checking on people. Make sure you're leading. Make sure we're, you know, we're adapting, we're innovating, and we're looking forward. Uh, that way we can always go with the skid, you know, because the last thing you want to do, you know, you never want to lose control, man. When you right. start to, when things start to skid out of control, the people, when people get in trouble is they try to overcorrect the wheel mm-hmm. and that's when you spin out. So part of going, part of going with the skid is as soon as you start to skid, skid it and then accelerate through that son of a gun mm. and we'll get through it. Wow, that's dope, Excellent man. Words, I love bro. analogies, man. That's Excellent words. Y'all hear that, y'all? This this has been awesome, Duke. I, we really appreciate you, brother. Um, before we let you go, though, go ahead and let them know where they can find you once again and the things you have coming up as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, special thanks to NFL Films and Carissa Thompson. Um, they came down for our O-Line Mastermind Seminar. Um, and did a tremendous job of capturing um, the true essence of with the O-line mastermind coming together uh, as offensive line professional development and even just Napoleon Hill's true mastermind principle of working as a collective effort in uh, the same synergistic um, efforts to get something and commonly done. So they did a great job of capturing that. It was on Fox Sports 1 last week. It's on mm. Twitter, it's on Facebook, it'll soon be on Instagram and soon be on YouTube. But catch it 
on November 23rd. That's a Monday night, I believe, at 8 p.m. Eastern, or maybe it's 8.15 Eastern. Check your local listings. NFL Films presents. Um, I'm not clear if it's going to be the same episode that they showed last week, which the NFL Films presents starts off with a mic'd up session of Philip Rivers. Maybe it's going to be a different mic'd up session, and then it moves into a, uh, set, a section about mental performance and the alter ego, and then our pieces on the last 15 minutes. Um, I'm not sure what the NFL Network is going to do. It could be that the entire show is devoted to O-Line Mastermind on November 23rd. Uh, just check your local listings, tune in, and mm-hmm. uh, that is really uh, something that we're greatly proud about. You can follow me on Twitter at BigDuke50, Instagram at TheBigDuke50. Uh, a lot of people have asked about these shirts on Twitter and Instagram. You can find us at strikeleveragedryfinish.com. So that's mm. everything I really got going on. We got some Nike camps coming up and things of that nature that uh, people have been excited about. But, um, you know, I'm around. It's all O-line all year round, man. That's what I do. If you want to be a smarter fan, you got to follow this guy. And, and this is no cap. This, he really knows what he's talking about, as you see, man. Appreciate yeah. you, dude. Really do. Go ahead, Law. Yeah, no, no. I'm just gonna say appreciate you, man. And uh, you, you are locally in, in the Dallas metro area, uh, is that correct, or where, where are you located at? Yes, sir. I'm here, oh, yeah. and uh, yeah. I live like on the border of Frisco Plano. Okay, so so if we get some young prospects, man, uh, I definitely reach out to them and send them your way because there's a lot of people that want to know the art of the game, and I think that they, they can value get a lot of value out of your content, man. I really appreciate you for jumping onto the show. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thanks definitely for appreciate you, big dude. No Thank you for asking all our questions and definitely going to ask you some more when this draft come up and just appreciate all your wealth of knowledge, your Facebook page. You, you, I like the breakdowns that you do with your videos. Um, it just, it's really good teaching because I use some of those videos when I was teaching some of my football kids on the offensive line. Cause I really didn't know. So just some of the steps that you were doing with the offensive lineman helped me be able to try to implement that on the field. So I really appreciate that kind of teaching and knowledge and keep it up. Big ups to you. Indeed. Appreciate you, bro. Hey, Chad, no stick- problem, man. I appreciate it. Thanks brother. It's stick around chat. We are going to continue to show here in a quick second, but make sure you guys follow Big Duke everywhere on all platforms. Yes, sir. No problem, man. Thanks, fellas. Right. Take it easy. Yes, indeed. That was good. <laughs> oh, man. That was good. That, that, I, I'm, I'm already a smarter fan. I can't wait to actually go back <laughs> and rewind this and listen to this and, and drop some of these nuggets on everybody. But, man, Big Duke. Big Duke. Yeah, man, sure. Man, James, you asked some good questions. And uh, Sky, you was right with it, man. Very, very, very informative show, man. Somebody with some brains to the situation as it relates to talking about the offensive line. And, and we all knew that, yeah, it takes time for the offensive line, especially to, to gain that information. But I like the way he broke it down to like, hey, it takes four years for you to prepare yourself for the Olympics, you know. So it might take four years for these guys to get their feet going, or you might can see some things as it relates to their third year. So there's a lot of stuff, man, he brought to the table that I was Indeed. like, man, good gems. Y'all see the chat? Yeah. The chat yeah, I, loved Duke. Yeah, you know? definitely. He was he was coming with that facts and knowledge, but I still ain't sold on Connor Williams. <laughs> he ain't even warm into it yet. Oh, All right, look, before we, we got go, the tell him he got the Duke, Duke, Duke is the beast and he know what he's in, but I ain't sold on that. Before shit. we get going, y'all. 